Amen. We are going to be in Isaiah 53. We're going to dismiss the kids downstairs. Isaiah 53, if you have... uh, if you've ever heard me before, you'll know that I love this chapter. This is my favorite Old Testament chapter of the Bible. Uh, I think it is a, a huge blessing when you dig into it. It's only 12 verses long. And in fact, today we're only going to focus on uh, verse 5 today of it. But uh, uh, Isaiah 53, I'm telling you, it's amazing when you read it that it was 700 years before Jesus came. You know, when you read this... Uh, It looks like it's past tense. It looks like it is reporting an event that has already happened. And I'm here to tell you that with God, uh, it's easy for him to report the future as if it's already happened because he can see the future, right? I can't tell you what the future holds. I can guess. I can guess that tomorrow's Monday and a lot of us are going to go to work and school tomorrow, but I don't know what tomorrow holds, right? We've had days that have turned our lives upside down and what was supposed to be normal didn't happen. Aren't you glad God uh, is different? He's not like us. There's nothing that takes him by surprise. He know what tomorrow holds because he, uh, he is the, he's the one that holds tomorrow. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, but I want to look at Isaiah 53. I, like I said, we're going to focus on verse 5, but I want want to give it to you. Isaiah 53 says, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb so he openeth not his mouth he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation for he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him the portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Praise God. I tell you what, you look at that 700 years before it happened, it is talking about the cross. If you haven't figured it out, the cross, and I'm thankful for that. But I'll do verse 5 one more time. But he was wounded for for our transgressions. He was bruised for our yeah. iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes 
we are healed. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for its truth and its power. And Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Help me to preach, but Lord, also help us to hear your word. Touch hearts today with your spirit. And Lord, I pray that if any doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that just the power of your gospel, the, the your grace, your mercy, Lord, would lead all men to come to you. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do today. Open up the altars, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. 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 So like I said, my favorite Old Testament chapter, and I think this is probably the most important chapter in the entire yeah. Old Testament. I mean, Genesis 3 is pretty important because it lays the foundation of sin and what happened. But when you get to hear, this is very important uh, with what's going on with the Messiah to come. But I was looking at my Bible. I memorized this October 17th, 2021. And I say, thank God for that. That was pretty close to when I started getting back into it. And, and what a chapter. But here, uh, uh, since I want to focus on verse 5 really quickly, I'll tell you verses 1 through 4. Uh, verse 1. Uh, talks about how they're not going to believe the Messiah when he comes, right? Who hath believed our report? That's what they're saying. Who's going to believe that he'd be uh, a king, would be born in a stable, that he would uh, be lowly and meek? Who would believe that? And I'm here to tell you, it still takes faith if you want to come to Jesus Christ. If you were in Sunday school, that's what we talked about. Uh, Romans chapter 3, the second half. It takes faith to come to Christ. Uh, and here's the thing. It still takes takes faith to put your trust in Jesus. So then verse 2, they didn't really see him for who he was, right? There's no beauty that we should desire him. Uh, so when they, they looked, they thought that they would see something different when the Messiah would come. They thought he would look different. They thought uh, everything would be different. And they're saying, hey, uh, you were looking for someone beautiful, but it says he was ordinary. He was ordinary. His character, again, was humble and meek. He wasn't what they expected. Verse 3 says, we esteemed him not. You know what that's saying? We put no value, right? That, that's what it means to esteem. You esteem something. You put a great value to it. And it said, we esteemed him not. They put no value in Jesus' life. That's why they were willing to say that he was better off dead than alive, right? That's why they wanted him crucified. They didn't esteem him. And you think about this. This should shock you. Because if you were around in Jesus' time, you would have watched him and heard him uh, and heard stories of him countlessly touching, the, making the blind see, the deaf hear, raising the dead, uh, healing families and everything else and teaching the truth. But they said, we, we esteemed him not. They wanted him dead. And then verse 4 talks about the cross. What's it say? Did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. And afflicted. Here's what they did esteem. They did look at the cross and they're saying basically Jesus got what he deserved. He got the punishment that was due to him. And you're thinking, my gosh, how far could they be from the truth? Right? They're thinking it's as if Jesus put himself in that position by what he did. And you're thinking, well, uh, we know that he did it for us. But no, they're saying he did it for himself. Like he, he deserved to die for his own uh, life. And we're saying, my goodness, how far away from the truth. 
So if you put together the first four verses of the chapter, they're not going to believe Jesus when he comes and brings his message of sin and salvation. When they see him, they're not really going to see that it's the Messiah. They'll see him as an ordinary carpenter, right? And son of a carpenter. Uh, and, and when uh, they won't really see it, they'll put no value in his life. And they're going to assume that he's getting what he deserves on the cross. And you're thinking 700 years before it happened, the Bible was spot on. Because when it happened, what? They didn't believe him. His hometown didn't believe him. The Jews didn't believe him. They didn't believe what he said, right? When they saw him, isn't this the carpenter's son, right? Is this Jesus? I mean, we know him. We live with him. This is him. We esteemed him not. They put no value in him. I'll tell you what, his life was priceless to us that are saved. It wasn't to them. You know, Pilate's uh, thought so smallly of it. He said, you know what? We could kill Jesus to get some political points with the Jews. They esteemed him not. And when he was dying, they looked at him saying he got what he deserved from God. Wow. But then verse 5 comes. So even with all of these things that Jesus would be rejected, when he came to this earth 700 years after the prophecy, he was born of a virgin. He carried out the plan of salvation anyway. That's why verse 5 starts with but, right? In spite of all that, in spite of the unbelief, in spite of them not seeing what they should have seen in the Messiah, in spite of these things, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Yeah. My goodness. But that verse says three things. He was wounded, he was bruised, and he was chastised. Let's think about this. He was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when Judas betrayed him? Uh, they knew where to find him. He'd be praying like he always was. He was taken before Annas first and then Caiaphas, the high priest, to be tried in both places. And in the first with Annas, after he was tried, John 18, 22 says one of the officers struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. Matthew 26, 67, this is at Caiaphas's trial. They spit in his face and buffeted him. That means punched him and others smote him with the palms of his hands. Then Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership. They find him guilty. Then they bring him to the Roman governor Pilate uh, for the first time. When Pilate uh, tries to get out of it, he figures out that he could send him to Herod, uh, the king of, uh, of a, a, a close-by area, and he sends him to Herod. But the problem is Herod's excited that Jesus is coming. He wants to see some kind of miracle, and instead Jesus doesn't say a word. So then Herod's men, you know what they do? They mock Jesus. They put a purple robe on him and send him back to Pilate. So their pilot is, he's trying to get out of it. He's trying to say, well, choose, a, uh, why don't you choose a, a Jesus? Uh, that way we'll release him. It was the custom of the day of that feast uh, to release a prisoner. But instead they wanted the murderer of Barabbas to be released. Barabbas. And with Jesus, they cried out saying, the Bible says, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because they esteemed him not. They wanted him dead. Pilate gives in, Mark 15, 5. Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. So we've already talked about him being beaten. Now in the scourging part, they would take this whip that had multiple ends at the end 
And at each end, they would tie on a piece of a bone fragment or a piece of metal or something like that. So not just are they whipping and the whip is bad enough, but those pieces would uh, tear into the back of Jesus and it would have tore his flesh apart. Uh, A lot of times you'd be able to see past the skin into the bones and everything, and it would have caused great pain, great blood and everything else. So they scourged him. Then it goes further. Matthew 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered him into the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, uh, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they mocked him and they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. This is Jesus. He was wounded. He was bruised. He was chastised. None of it was pretty. He did all of this. And now they're spitting on him and mocking him like he's a king, which he is a king. So we see this. Then they lead him up to Calvary where the cross is. And our cross looks pretty, but it wasn't pretty. This was the method the Romans used to execute people. That was the long, uh, uh, a torturous, long method to kill somebody. And when they got Jesus to the cross, they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross using large metal spikes. So he was punched. He was slapped. He was spit on. He was whipped and scourged. They smashed a crown of thorns in his head. They hit him with a reed. Uh, And in fact, the previous chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 14, says his face was so damaged you could barely tell who he was. 700 years prior, Isaiah said he's going to be wounded, bruised, and chastised. And he was. He was. Finally, he would die after spending six hours on the cross. And remember with those spikes, those nails in his hands and his feet, they would hang down. But to get a breath, they had to have to pull themselves up through the spike in their feet and through the nails in their hands would have to pull and push on those spikes to get one breath and then could release. And they'd have to do that over and over again. The pain would have been unbearable. Six hours Jesus did this. It wasn't like our executions today that are quick and relatively painless. He was wounded, he was bruised, and he was chastised. But why? Why, was, why did all of that happen? Why did Jesus go through all of that? Yeah. Let's go to the verse again. What's it say? Does it say he was wounded for his transgressions? No. No. What's it say? Look at the next verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. In fact, the prophet could have said he was wounded for their transgressions. But he included himself. Isaiah said, I'm a sinner too. I'm part of this group. Our transgressions. That's what he said. He saw himself as guilty. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. That word transgressions means trespass and really means rebellion. He was bruised for our iniquities. That word iniquity means perversion, evil. And here's the thing. You may not see yourself as a rebel against God, but I'm here to tell you if you go against the Bible and what God says and how to live and how to talk and how to deal with people and how to deal with him, if you go against any of this Bible, you are a rebel against God. And I'll tell you what, Satan has tried to glorify rebels today. Everyone wants to be a rebel now, right? Including some church people for some reason. God doesn't like rebels. He never paints it in a good light. So you're going against God as rebellious. And then as soon as men start rebelling against God, what do they do? They pervert everything that's good. And I know a lot of times when we hear the word perversion, we think of sexual, but that's part of it. It is basically a corruption of anything. This society uh, has taken this and has proven it over and over again. The more men rebel against God and God's word, the more perverse everything gets. Amen? Amen. What's the Bible talk about? Yes, it talks about perverted things sexually, but it also mentions a perverted mouth. Right? We hear it with the way people talk. Perverted judgment. I tell you what, our justice system is corrupt. Amen? Amen. I can tell you, I went through law school. Now, I didn't get a career in that, but I'm telling you what, it's corrupt. We have found people that have literally done things against the law. Jake can back me up here. We've reported it. We've uh, uh, packaged it into, uh, uh, had all the evidence, have everything they need. All they had to do was take it and run with it, and yet still... These people are out on uh, bail, uh, continuing to do wrong, the wrong Amen. things. Amen. I'm thinking, my goodness, I-, I think there's a place where you can lock people up, where they'll still quit committing crimes. This justice is corrupt. Yeah. Amen. Amen. What else? A perverse heart. Perverse religion, they've corrupted everything that God said is true. This world uh, makes the Bible perverse. They corrupt it. They'll change the parts they don't like. It's a corruption, taking the truth and polluting it. And it happens after rebellion. And God's word says that's what will happen, and that's what we've seen. You rebel against God. You pervert good things and corrupt it. You know what it will do? This verse tells you right here. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. You rebel against God. You follow this world's perversion. It will rob you of any peace. You will have no peace. Amen. You're thinking, Mike, are you sure about that? Look at this world. Yeah. There is no peace in this world. Oh, I'm not just talking about countries fighting against each other. I'm talking about peace up here. Yeah. This yeah. world can't find any mental peace out here. Why? Because they're constantly going against God yeah. and his word. They're constantly uh, living these perverted lifestyles and they think it's going to be okay. Well, you can tell yourselves a hundred times it's okay. You can wake up and say, I'm doing great. You can be proud of your sin. You can have everyone backing you up just about, except for those that are truly uh, Christians that are following God's word. But I'll tell you one thing you won't have without Jesus Christ. You'll never have true peace. And the Bible says that. There is no peace. Why? Because part of... Of him, uh, Jesus taking the punishment for our sins was so that we could have real peace. 
That was him on the cross. And we'll never get it any other way. When Jesus died for our sins, he allowed our sins to be completely forgiven. He allowed us to have a brand new life through him. He gave us a path uh, to live righteously. And here's the thing. We can call on Jesus' name for forgiveness of sins. He'll make us a new creature in Jesus Christ. And at that point, we'll stop rebelling against God. And we'll stop living the perverted life. We'll seek to live a life according to God and God's word. And then when we start trusting in him, what's the Bible promise? Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts in mind through Christ Jesus if that wasn't enough Jesus himself said John 16 these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace in this world ye shall have tribulation but be of good cheer I've overcome the world amen yeah his wounding brought forgiveness of sins but aren't you glad it also brought peace Amen. And no matter how dark it is, no matter how ridiculous it gets, no matter if they're ready to shut down the government or not, whether inflation is robbing the money, you, what little money we make uh, and making it not worth as much, all these things and more, whether they're going to have war, whether Putin or Kim or one of the others that's going to launch nuclear missiles, this world is trying to get us in a mental wreck, but we can turn to the Bible and say, you know what? I realize Washington doesn't have it in control. I realize the state house doesn't have it in control. I realize sometimes my bank account isn't in control and everything else is in control, but I'll tell you who is in control. That's Jesus Christ. He is in control. His word is still true and we can turn to him and have true peace even in the tribulation of this world. Amen. I like how it finishes. And with his stripes we are healed. You realize something when we sinned against God, it broke the fellowship that man had with God. If you go back into the Bible, like I said, Genesis chapter 3 is a very important chapter of the Bible. You look at the beginning of the chapter and you see that God created male male and female. He created Adam and Eve together. Uh, that's the first married couple in the Bible. And he didn't change the definition of marriage later. But he put them in the garden uh, to keep it, to dress it. And that's one of the most beautiful things the Bible describes is in the cool of the day. Uh, God would walk with Adam and talk with with him and it's just a blessing to think about this but when Adam sinned against God they, they had one rule and Adam and Eve broke it amen and that uh, severed the fellowship with God uh, they were kicked out of the garden they were cast out that there was no more God talking in the cool of the day that fellowship had been broken uh, and then uh, if everything would have stopped right there God said you go against me you sin against me and it will bring death and they look at themselves they weren't dead they were still alive but spiritually there was death and it was broken and that's what sin do sin does it breaks it breaks fellowship with God sin will break up relationships it'll break up households it will tear things apart uh, but aren't you glad that uh, well here's the other thing the Bible actually calls us enemies of God when we were sinners. We didn't realize it, but we were an enemy of God because we were doing the will of the devil. We were going against God and didn't realize it. But here's another but passage from Romans 5, 8, 
part of the Romans road to salvation, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. Amen. Even though we broke the fellowship, even though we've been a re rebel against God, even though we sinned against God, even though we've done everything against him and we're an enemy, even in spite of that, God still loved us. When we look at the cross and all that pain and suffering, he didn't do that because of obligation. He did that out of love. He loved us so much. He wanted to restore that. Romans 5.10, a couple verses later. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Aren't you glad? Uh, yes, he paid for our sins on the cross, and he was buried, uh, but uh, the story doesn't end there. Praise God. Uh, we were, uh, he, uh, I'm telling you that he was buried on a Friday. Uh, Saturday was a dark day. Uh, that nothing was happening but aren't you glad on that Sunday morning the women went to anoint the body and finish anointing uh, as the custom was with the dead body they get to that tomb the stone was rolled away and it was empty not because someone had stolen the body but because Jesus had risen from the dead I, I am here to tell you that it doesn't impress me that a man, a man or a woman dies today because all of us will face death uh, but what impresses me is when one dies and gets back up three yeah. days later and that's Jesus he's alive today he's alive, he's alive. and because of that he can restore the broken relationship with God he can heal what was broken by sin how do you do that well here's what you got to do you've got to agree that you're a sinner the Bible says you are. I could name off passage after passage. I already read the next verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. And what did they do? They laid the iniquities of us all onto him. All of our sins were placed on Jesus Christ. You just have to admit that you're a sinner. And it's easy. The Bible tells you. But I'm here to tell you. If you think that you haven't sinned. I want you to tell me that through your entire life. You've perfectly followed everything in here. You haven't. And then, once you admit you're a sinner, you need to be ready for a different life. Amen. Right? That's called repentance. It's a fancy word saying, I want a new life. I'm tired of this old life being an enemy of God. I want a new life. And then, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. We've already talked about it. Rose from the dead three days later. Now, I can't take you and show you the film of it. I can't take you back in time. I, I mean, they have a tomb there in Jerusalem, but it's probably not the same one, I hate to tell you. So it takes faith. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe what the Bible says about it. And if you believe it, you're real close. The last thing is Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You have yeah. to ask him to save you. And he will. He will. I'm here to tell you I was nine years old. I can take you to the house. We haven't lived there in a long time. There at the corner of South and Grove Street in Ashley, right down the road. I can take you to it. There in that living room. I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I realized I was a sinner. 
And I asked for him to forgive me, and he did. And you know what he did? And you know what he's done for every single one of us that were saved? The instant we were saved. You know what he did? He regenerated us, which is a fancy word of saying God gave us a new heart. Amen. He took the old heart of stone out and gave us a new heart. Uh, Not only were we regenerated, we were converted. He gave us a new life, a new start. I'm telling you what, there are people in this world that would give anything if they could have a new start in life, if they could start over. Jesus is offering it for free. He gave you a new start. Not only that, he forgave us, praise God. He washed away the record of every single sin that was on our account. He did that through his blood that he shed. Not only were we regenerated, converted, forgiven, but justified. That means there was a record that we were guilty. Just like if you go to the courthouse and you can see criminal records of people. He took that criminal record and he took away guilty. And in its place, he put righteous. Even though you and I don't live perfectly righteous, that's justified. Uh, Praise God. Uh, Then he put on there that we're redeemed uh, He purchased us from the slave market of sin. You look at Hosea as a beautiful picture of that. We were a slave to sin. We were in bondage to sin. But he paid the price to set us free from that. Not only were we redeemed, we were reconciled. I told you a minute ago, we were an enemy of God. He turned us from being an enemy to now we're a friend. And not only a friend, we were reconciled. But the Bible says we were adopted. He took us into his family, made us one of his children children made us a joint heir with Jesus Christ we've got the same inheritance I don't understand it but he did all those things the moment you were saved he put the Holy Spirit in your heart and the last thing is first John 3 2 says beloved that's us that are saved now are we the sons of God praise God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as as he is. The last thing is we're going to be glorified one day. We're going to get a new body. We're going to live with Jesus Christ and never be separated from him evermore. I'm here to tell you that's what happens when you're saved and it wasn't free. He bought that on the cross. He paid the price. We should have endured all that, but instead out of love, Jesus did that for you. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. He did that for us. Are you saved today through Jesus Christ? We talked about in Sunday school. Romans chapter 3 makes it crystal clear. You and I cannot work our way to heaven. We can't go through rituals. We can't do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad. And we don't have to. That's right. Because like I said, if we had to do the good deeds outweighing the bad, we would have no idea right now whether we're saved or not. But the Bible says we can know that we're saved. We can know that we're sons of God. We can know that we're set free through Jesus Christ. I'm not boasting because of who I am or what I've done. I am boasting of the cross. That's what I'm boasting of. Look what he did for us. Are you saved today? If not, you're missing out on all these things. And one last thing. If you leave this life without Jesus Christ, Jesus himself said what would happen. He said the rich man was buried and he opened his eyes in hell, being in torment. And he asked. 
for one drop of water. He said, I am tormented in this flame. I am being tortured right now in this flame. One drop of water. And they said, no. No. One drop of water would have been relief and would have been mercy for anyone in hell. If we could take them one drop now, they would love it. But God said, no. No. You've made your choice. But before it is too late, you can change your choice Amen. today. You've been an enemy of God all your life. You can change and be a friend of God. Yes. You've been a sinner all your life. You can be saved by Jesus Christ today. You're the one that decides that. Well, why should I put it off? Should I wait? No. The Bible says this, James 4.14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. If you've ever boiled water and watched it, once it starts boiling, that vapor goes up and in a split second, it's gone. You can't find it anymore. It's gone. The Bible says that's our life, just like that, being snuffed out, and it's gone. Even if you live 70, 80 years, your life's a vapor that quick. What else? Life's uncertain. Proverbs 27.1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You have no clue where you'll be at. And you have to choose now. Because unfortunately the other day, we had another instance. Terry was in ICU. I was there with him. I was talking to him. I was praying with him. He couldn't talk to me. He opened his eyes a few times. He squeezed my hand a few times. But I, I mean, they had all these machines pumping drugs into him. You never know if he could understand anything I said or not. We have no idea. And that could be you. That could be you later today. You could get hit on the road. Something could happen to you. You could keel over. Uh, you know, you could not wake up. We have no idea. And I don't mean to be morbid. I'm just being truthful with you. No clue. And death is sure. Hebrews 9.27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, all of us will die. Yes. But not only that, Christ may appear at any moment. So Matthew 24, 44, Jesus said this, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. He says, I will return when you don't even think about it. When you're not ready, you've got to be ready. And then finally, there's no escape. Hebrews 2, 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? There's no escape. If you reject Jesus Christ, there's no other way to heaven. There's no escaping judgment. You will stand before him. And he's not going to be the meek, lowly, virgin-born baby in the stable. He's going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who you'll stand before. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. He was bruised, wounded, chastised so we can have forgiveness of sins and so we could have peace and he was whipped those stripes so we could have healing he did that for you i'm here to tell you nobody has ever done anything like that for you and nobody ever will I, somebody could dedicate their entire life to giving you everything you wanted and jesus has still done more for you
You just need to come to him. I'm going to ask Carrie to come. We're going to open up the altar.